Amen. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us. You loved us so much that you sent your one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so we are gathered here this morning to say thank you for your love. Jesus, thank you for obeying the Father's will for your life so that we could be rescued, so that we could be redeemed. And thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us and empowers us on the journey to follow our King, Jesus. And so now we commit this part of our service to you and ask that you would continue to minister to us and to speak to us. Pray that we, you will open our eyes and wonder to your incredible love for us so that we will live differently than when we came in this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I'm excited this morning to start a new series, a, a study in the book of Deuteronomy, which I've titled On the Move, Wisdom for the Journey. And I'm so excited that we are on the journey as a church. As I was studying this week, I thought, wow, Lord, the timing of this study for us as a congregation just seems so right. Because I believe we are, and we continue to want to be a church that's on the move with the gospel of the good news of the new life that we have in Christ and wherever he leads us to, whatever people he leads us, we want to be available. Amen? As we saw this morning, so exciting, a Haitian Creole French church plant going to be across the road in April. So if, if you want to have a service in French after April at 11 o'clock, you will go across there and you will experience a beautiful service all in Creole French. But it's exciting. We are a church on the move and I trust that we will continue to be obedient to our mission to go into all the world and make disciples. Well, I thought this morning before we launch into the content of the book of Deuteronomy, it would be helpful for us at the front end just to take a few minutes to review so that we can understand the background and the context in which this book was composed. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch being the Greek term that simply refers to the first five books of the Bible. And as I was reading this week, I discovered that many biblical scholars consider Deuteronomy to be the most influential book in the Old Testament. And an interesting trivia fact is that it is the book that Jesus most quoted from in the Gospels. As one author describes it, Deuteronomy is the mountain at the center of the Old Testament. Everything in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, leads up to it with its climactic renewal of God's covenant relationship with his people. And then everything in the rest of the Old Testament flows out from it. That's why some consider its place in the Old Testament to be the same as the place of Romans in the New Testament. It truly is, as you will discover on this journey, the theology book of the Old Testament. And as we study together, you will realize that because so much of its content reviews the history of Israel experiencing God's grace, a comparison is also often made to Deuteronomy and the Gospel of John. As you recall, John wrote his gospel after several decades of reflection on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you'll discover Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, who's the author, while camped out at Kadesh Barnea, preaches three sermons at the age of 120. As I thought about that, I thought, well, Pastor Rick had another 60 plus years in him. If Moses went 120 years, 
And after almost four decades of reflection on the significance of the Exodus and God's covenant made with Israel at Mount Sinai, he preaches these sermons. And there's a map. If you look on the upper right corner, you'll see where they are in the journey. They have come. There's Sinai where they renewed the commitment to the covenant. They've now traveled up. And on the upper right corner in the plains of Moab is where our 120-year-old pastor is with the people. So who made up his congregation? Well, we know from Scripture that his congregation was made up of the second generation of those who were rescued out of slavery from Egypt. And those who were present there with him that were between the ages of 40 and 60 years old, other than Joshua and Caleb who were older, would have been born well in captivity in Egypt. So what does that mean? That means that that group of people experienced the miraculous exodus as children or teens. But those that were there with Moses in the plains of Moab, under 40, would have been born and raised in the wilderness. Therefore, they would not have experienced the miracle at the Red Sea, nor had they heard the law of God given to his people at Sinai. So Moses, knowing they were about to go on an adventure into a new land with many dangers and temptations, and knowing that his time as God's appointed leader over them was coming to an end, preaches these three sermons during the last 40 days of their time on this side of the Jordan River before going on the move to conquer the land of Canaan some 40 years after their exodus. One author said, like the Gospel of John, the words of Moses in Deuteronomy function as a theological manifesto, calling on this new generation who had survived the rigors and judgment of the desert wanderings and were on the threshold of entering the land promised to their patriarchal ancestors. And the call to them was for them to respond to God's grace with unreserved loyalty and love. Is that how people would describe your relationship with Jesus? With unreserved loyalty and love. You see, the Lord through Moses wanted this generation to understand they were his redeemed people, called to on a divine mission and to outline for them the basic principles by which this mission was to be carried out in the immediate future as they were about to be on the move. And although the words of Moses had the most specific and immediate relevance to that generation who he was preaching to, if you read the scriptures, clearly Jesus the apostles and the early church recognized the ongoing theological significance and authority of this book of Deuteronomy. And so I encourage us today as followers of Jesus Christ, members of his church who are on the move in a world that is still filled with danger and temptations, let's pay attention. Let's pay attention to the words of the Lord through Moses recorded in Deuteronomy because in them we will find wisdom for the journey. Wisdom that if we embrace it will help us as his people remain faithful and loyal to King Jesus and his mission while we journey on our trip to the eternal promised land where we will live with our Lord and experience the fullness of the new creation. 
So let's take a look and see what God thought was of first importance for this new generation, the second generation, to, to know and to remember as they were about to be on the move. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 18 verses. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. That is in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dishahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon and at Edrei, had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in, take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. At that time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise men, understanding and respected men from each tribe. I will set them over you. You answered me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time, I told you everything you were to do. This is the word of the Lord. From this text, I, I want to highlight three things that I think God thought were of first importance for this generation to know and remember as they're about to be on the move. And the first thing is this. God has sovereign authority over our lives. God has sovereign authority over our lives. We see this in the preamble, the first five verses. You see, from the very start of the book, you will notice that the structure of Deuteronomy composed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit actually reflects the layout of ancient Near Eastern treaties. Treaties that were made between an overlord and his vassal. And as I read an article this week to help us understand in our time what would those treaties have looked like, one author provided a very good example. A typical covenant in that time would go something like this. Hi, I'm your new king. I just destroyed your entire army and murdered your old king. Furthermore, I'll be happy to slaughter anyone who pushes back against me. Oh, and by the way, here's the treaty so that you may know what, know what the new normal is. So in the context of Deuteronomy... 
It should not be a surprise as we study to find that Yahweh, the Lord, is portrayed in the role of a great king. One by whom creation and sovereign choices exercises dominion over all things. And who reveals the way his people should live in covenant with him. But listen closely. In comparison to the traditional ancient Near Eastern treaty, Deuteronomy in essence flips the normal format so that it would read something like this. Listen how different God's approach is. I am the God who liberated you from oppression and slavery. I have fought, fulfilled, and will continue to fulfill my promises on your behalf. Here is a treaty so that you will know and remember my affection for you as well as your responsibilities in this relationship. This is your new normal. You see, there's few other Old Testament writings that are more committed to the proclamation that Yahweh, the Lord our God, is the one and only true God, to whom all praise, all worship, and total obedience is due. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. Moses says to the, to the generation, You are showing these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah records. This is what the Lord, Yahweh, says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Folks, that's why gathering together like we've done this morning is so important and so healthy for us to do on the journey because it reminds us of who God is and through our worship and the preaching of His Word, we learn how we are to relate to Him as those in covenant relationship with Him. And yes, our God is our Heavenly Father who we are blessed to enjoy a personal loving relationship with. But may we never forget on the journey as followers of Jesus Christ that our Heavenly Father is also the Sovereign before whom all creation submits in fear and surrender. God has sovereign authority over our lives. And we see this theme of His sovereign authority emphasized in verse 3 where it so clearly records under whose authority Moses spoke. Read with me. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. So all that the Lord, remember, great king, had commanded them, his servants. Moses is not just an independent voice. He speaks only what the Lord commanded him. And because his authority came directly from God, whatever he proclaimed to this second generation was as binding on them as the law revealed to their parents by God through Moses at Sinai. You see, Moses who served as the mediator of Yahweh's covenant with Israel and as the human conduit of divine revelation at Sinai spoke only as the authoritative spokesman of God. And he led the people toward the land of promise only by divine direction. Recognizing that the land he journeyed toward with this generation is a land God had already given to Israel through a promise, even though other people were living there. 
One author says it so accurately. Only a sovereign God who manages the universe could presume not only to forecast the future, but to then be able to arrange circumstances so as to bring His promises to pass. And we see that reflected in the timing mentioned in verse 4, where we read that Moses began to preach his sermons after he had defeated King Sihon of the Amorites and King Og of Bashan. A full accounts of those campaigns is recorded in Numbers 21. But here in Deuteronomy, they are simply referred to with the intent to show that under the sovereign authority of Almighty God, all the area of the plains of Moab where Moses and the people were at this time, east of the Jordan, was now under Israel's control. God had set the stage. God had set the stage for the conquest of Canaan and possession of the promised land as he had promised to Abraham, which was reiterated to Isaac and to Jacob, and then through Moses to the generations who had been rescued through the Exodus. But did you notice in verse 2 when we were reading? The journey from Sinai, where the covenant made to Abraham was renewed with Israel, to Kadesh Barnea, where they are now, on the border of the promised land, where we find the second generation, under normal circumstances, would only take how long to travel? 11 days. 11 days. And yet here, at the start of Deuteronomy, we find Moses, now 120 years old, still in the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan River, on the outside of the promised land, with only the second generation of those who were rescued through the Exodus alive, other than Joshua and Caleb. Because the first generation in unbelief did not accept and trust God's sovereign authority over their lives. Something even Moses himself struggled with in the wilderness. Which sadly, as we'll discover later, cost him the opportunity to experience the blessing of entering into the promised land. With this generation, he was now pastorally preparing to enter after a delay of 40 years. 11 days turned into 40 years because they did not accept God's sovereign authority over their lives. Children of God, on the journey, learning to recognize and trust God's sovereign authority over our lives is critical. It's not easy, but it is essential. It's not easy, but it's essential. And if we don't surrender to his sovereign authority over our lives on our journey, we too, like the first generation, will struggle to trust and obey his commands. So I ask you this morning, do you have a biblical understanding of who God is and how you and I are to relate to him? Have you come to grips with the fact that your life is not your own. Have you honestly come to grips with that? In my struggle on the journey to come to grips with that, can I just share with you a verse that has really helped me to be able to cross over and to surrender to His sovereign authority in my life? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? 
You are not your own. Can I encourage you tomorrow morning when you wake up and look in the mirror, before you brush your teeth or put shaving cream on, you look in the mirror and say, I am not my own. It'll change how you view the rest of your day. You are not your own. You were bought at a price which we are going to remember and celebrate later together. Therefore, honor God who has sovereign authority over your life with your bodies. God has sovereign authority over our lives. The second thing that we should not forget on the journey is that God expects us to remember and obey His commands. In verse 5, we see there the burden that God placed on Moses' heart to help this generation understand the priority of God's law. Look at verse 5. East of the Jordan in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law. What was of first importance? Expound on the law of God with this generation. And what is this law that he's expounding? The words and the laws God had given to their parents through Moses at Sinai, which their parents had covenanted with the Lord to obey. You see, we need to understand in Deuteronomy, Moses was not going to give this second generation a new version of the law. That's not what he was going to do. But rather, he was empowered by God so that they would be able to understand in clear and plain terms what the law actually meant and how it impacted their lives. Can I just urge you? We have so much access today to the Word of God through your own personal reading, through the internet, all kinds of hearing God's word is available, which is a good thing. But can I encourage you, please be very careful and discerning to who you are listening to. Because there are many people who are peddling new versions of God's word. To which John in Revelations chapter 22 verse 18 gives this very stern warning. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. Moses was not giving this generation a new version of God's law. No, his purpose was to make the sense and purpose of God's law clear to this generation as they entered the land so that they might not make the same mistakes as their parents had, but rather that they would live faithfully before God. You know, it was interesting as I was studying this week, I thought, wow, Moses really kind of started the first discipleship community. And it was a big, small group. Because he wasn't taking what God had said and then simply telling them again. He was expounding the law. He was taking the words and the laws of God that their parents had heard and he was explaining it to them so that they would be able to apply it to their lives. That's what we do in discipling communities. We don't come and preach another sermon in our small groups. We take what God spoke to us in the service. We gather together in groups of 14 to 16 people to expound on what we heard with the purpose that we might learn how to apply it to our lives. 
He was preaching about the law to this generation rather than simply giving the law directly. His focus was on instructing them how to walk with God and how to fulfill God's will in the land and be blessed. You see, brothers and sisters, on the journey, taking God's word seriously, knowing it and applying it is essential. We must take God's word seriously. Listen to what James chapter 1 verse 22 and 25 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever, listen very closely here, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and what? Continues in it. I read a book this over the Christmas break which has changed my whole perspective on how to share the gospel. It's called The Discipleship Gospel, Preaching the Gospel that Jesus Preached. And in it, the emphasis of the authors is as churches in today's day and age, we need to be calling people to repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ, and follow Him. What we are going to celebrate this morning is not just a gospel of forgiveness, it's a gospel where we are called to turn from our sins, believe in Jesus Christ, and follow Him. People who take God's Word seriously continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. And it says they will be blessed in what they do. Don't you want to be blessed in what they do? Oh, continue to remember and obey the commands of God. Take His Word seriously. Apply it in your life. And so Moses, before he begins to expound the law for them, he takes them first on a brief journey of their history. And we'll note over the next few weeks in the first three chapters, he takes them of a review of their past so that they will understand what God has done. Because he wanted them to look back in order to help them understand who God is, who they were, and how they got to where they are. And looking back was going to be important for them on the move. And in Deuteronomy 6.12, there's a theme there that you, we will see together that keeps popping up in the sermons of Moses. There Moses warns them, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I urge you today, regularly, please, daily, remind yourself of who God is. Do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Again, we see Moses' desire was that this new generation would avoid repeating the sins of their fathers. And God was about to give the Israelites a second chance after almost 40 years. Aren't you grateful this morning that you serve a God who gave you a second chance? Oh, I sure am. I sure am. I'm so thankful that the Lord didn't give up on me. But he was patient with me. And he lovingly led me to the place where I finally responded to his grace and his love for me. I'm so thankful that God gave me a second chance. And so Moses begins his sermon with this new generation in verse 6. And how does he begin it? He quotes what the Lord had said to the Israelites through him 40 years ago to their parents as they were at Sinai heading for Canaan, the promised land. Now, if you paid attention when you're in Sunday school, you recall after being rescued out of Egypt, God's people marched to the desert of Sinai where they camped in front of the mountain. 
And it was there that the Lord revealed himself to them in great power and glory. And he gave them his law through Moses to which they accepted the terms of the covenant. And it was there that the tabernacle was built and the priests and Levites were set apart to serve the Lord. Then just over a year after they arrived, just as they had got comfortably established in Sinai, the Lord who has sovereign authority over their lives tells them, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're just going on in life, you're comfortable, you're doing the discipleship thing, and you're kind of in a rut, and the Lord comes along and says, Calvin, it's time to move. You've been here long enough. You see, maybe not, in, not according to their thoughts or their plans did they think it was time to move. Had they been long enough, they'd only been there just over a year. But long enough according to his plans for them. Why? Because his goals for them had been achieved. What was his goals for them? He had them camp at Sinai for a little over a year because he wanted to give them the law and teach them how to worship him. Remember, the Lord did not give Israel his law to save them from their sins because we know Paul in Galatians affirms that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Don't forget that under the old covenant, people were saved by faith just as sinners are today. In Genesis 15, 6, does it not say that Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteousness? No, God gave them the law to reveal the sinfulness of mankind and to help them understand his holy character and to explain what he required of them if they were to please him and enjoy his blessings. If I was to ask you this morning, how many of you want to please God and enjoy his blessings? Most of us say, absolutely I do. It's not difficult. One of the primary ways to please God is do what he tells you to do. Do what he tells you to do. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel 15, 22 about obedience. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. You want to please the Lord and enjoy his blessings? Obey him. And we see Jesus in the Gospels. Did he not repeat the same lesson for us? John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands, do we have his commands? Absolutely. And keeps them is the one who loves me. How do I know? I had a conversation with someone in between the services this morning that wants to be baptized. How did I know this person was a follower of Jesus Christ? They had a desire to want to obey the commands of Christ. Anytime you feel prompted to obey the commands of Christ, praise the Lord and thank Him that His Spirit lives in you because that's evidence you belong to God. Those who love me, Jesus said, will obey my commands. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And so in verse 7 and 8, Moses recalls for the second generation the three things the Lord had commanded their parents. Break camp and advance. Go in and take possession. Break camp, go in and take possession. It was time for them to get on the move. And occupation of the land was not an option, but an edict. Can I just say to you, you do not need to pray and ask God's will in relation to obeying his commands. You don't need to pray about that. You just need to do it. This was an edict, and they were to do it. 
And so once again, even in these commands that God gave the first generation, we see that he is the prime mover, sovereignly in control of all events. He told them, break camp in advance, go in and take possession. And he promised to keep the covenant he had made with the patriarchs, to whom he had graciously promised the land of Canaan. All the first generation had to do was remember and obey God's command. And the Lord would have given them victory over their enemies in Canaan years earlier. What has God commanded you to do that you are not obeying? Is God prompting you that you have camped out long enough where you are in your journey to becoming a fully devoted disciple of Christ? What next steps has he directed you to take? You see, it's wonderful that he has redeemed us and he has saved us. But he didn't just redeem us and save us to stay as newborn babies in Christ. He wants us to grow up and to become more like his son and to reflect the glory and the values of his kingdom to the world. So I ask you this morning, what steps do you need to take to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if the Holy Spirit tells you what to do, do it. And you will please the Lord and you will experience his blessing in your life. Finally, the third thing I see here that this generation must not forget as they're about to be on the move is God will provide what we need for the journey. Isn't that good news? God will provide what we need for the journey. And in verse 9, Moses recalls for the second generation how leading their parents and now them on the move has not been an easy task. For over 40 years, he has guided them. Can you imagine? 40 years. Pastor Rick pastored here for 22 years. Can you imagine pastoring a group of people for over 40 years? The only pastor that I know in this area that has done that was the former pastor of the embassy up on Taunton. Pastor Doug Snyder, a good man. He took over that church when he was 28 years old. And when the Lord called him home, he had pastored that church for 40 years. 40 years. Moses guided them in exciting times and cared for them in difficult times. And on almost a daily basis, he had to solve new problems and listen to new complaints. Some of you might be saying, that sounds like my home. Be encouraged. God will provide what you need for the journey even as a parent. You see, their parents had settled in at Horeb for just over a year and they resented having to leave and endure the hardships of their journey to the promised land. As I read that account, I'm always amazed and at the same time personally take note how quick they forgot the horrors of the years of slavery in Egypt to the point that they even wanted to turn around and go back. And sadly, they'd become so used to God's provision of manna from heaven each morning that they took it for granted. How often do we daily take for granted God's provision for us? And instead, they longed for the savory meat and vegetables they had enjoyed eating in Egypt. Did they forget? They were enslaved. It's no wonder Moses got discouraged and cried out to the Lord. He was ready to quit. And in fact, in Numbers eleven fifteen, he even asked God to take his life. And so he reminds this new generation that the people had become too heavy a burden for him to carry alone. I wondered as I was preparing this week, 
Perhaps the frustration and disappointments you are experiencing on the journey has you ready to quit. You're overwhelmed. Can I just say to you this morning, pay attention to God's message to you this morning through the account of Moses. He will provide what you need for the journey. He will provide. Look back. Remind yourself of how God has been faithful and kept his promises. Pausing on the, move, on the move to reflect on God's faithfulness will help us not to forget and become ungrateful. Psalms 103 verse 2 and 5 says, Praise the Lord my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Speaking of eagles, listen to this verse that the Lord directed me to this week and tell me if this is an incredible picture that God will provide everything you need on the journey. Psalms 81.10, listen to this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open your mouth and I will fill it. Isn't that incredible? Open your mouth and I will fill it. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I will give you everything you need on the journey. When you picture that in your mind, what do you picture? I picture a nest which I have seen full of little baby robins. And when mom comes back with a worm, let me tell you, there isn't one robin in that nest sitting like this. Their mouths are open as wide as they can get them open. And God is saying to you this morning, on the journey, I will provide what you need. Just open your mouth and I will fill it. And for Moses, what was it? It was the provision of people to come alongside him. You see, in the midst of recalling his own frustration and his distress, Moses in verse 10 and 11 acknowledges and celebrates. Wow, yes, God has kept his promise, which he made to Abraham. And what was that promise he made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5? This was the promise. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. What do we see here in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11? Moses is saying to the people at Sinai, the Lord your God has increased your numbers so that you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Wait a minute. What God promised to Abraham, I now see in front of me. And what does he do in the midst of all his frustration? Verse 11, he celebrates. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But the fulfillment of God's promise had also created a problem for Moses, hadn't it? <laughs> in the sheer number, it made it impossible for him to lead them effectively on his own. He could not bear their problems, burdens, and disputes all by himself. So what did the Lord provide for him on the journey? Two things. Wise counsel from his father-in-law, Jethro. I've just become a father-in-law for the first time. And so I encourage you who are father-in-laws, God has given you wisdom and experience. Share that 
with those who have married into your family. Jethro gave Moses good counsel. Not only that, God provided for Moses 70 men who were wise, understanding, and respected to assist him in managing the affairs of the camp, creating a chain of command between Moses and the people so that he didn't have to get involved in every minor dispute. And these chosen men were to judge fairly, not show partiality, and not be afraid of anyone, for judgment ultimately belongs to the Lord. And so even here again, we see God's sovereign authority, even in the provision of leaders. The Lord who has sovereign authority over our lives knows what we need, brothers and sisters, and he will provide. And for Moses, it was the provision of capable men to come alongside him and help him oversee the people. He did not have to do it alone. God never intended us to journey alone. He is with us through his spirit, and he has placed each of us in his family. From the very beginning, God did not design people to journey alone. God created Eve so that Adam would not be alone. Jethro came along by God's provision so that he could help Moses to realize, you can't do this alone. And God established the church, as we learned in our study through Acts, so that believers would not be alone. If you're journeying alone, you are a sitting duck. You need to be closely connected to the family of God so that you can be encouraged on the journey. And in verse 18, Moses summarizes this opening section of his sermon by reminding his listeners who he's taken on a journey back in history to remind them that the bottom line of what the experience of their parents at Sinai was about was knowing who God is and what things he wanted them to do. And by recounting these significant events in their past, Moses calls this new generation, preparing to be on the move, to do three things. Acknowledge the Lord's sovereign authority over your life. God expects us to remember and obey his commands. And don't be anxious. God will provide everything you need for the journey. So that if you do these things, you won't be rebellious like your parents were, but instead would respond to Yahweh's amazing grace with wholehearted devotion. So I ask you this morning in closing, are you overwhelmed on the journey? If you are, pause and reflect. Has God not met your needs in the past? And I ask you, are you staying close to him and closely connected to his family, the church, on the journey. Those things are essential. So as we prepare today a gathering of people, a congregation, as we prepare our minds and our hearts to look back and remember God's grace to us by giving us his one and only son, who through his life, death, and resurrection established the new and better covenant through which we do receive forgiveness of sins and God's empowering spirit to help us live lives that are pleasing to him. I call on us this morning as a congregation, like Moses called that second generation in the plains of Moab, I call us this morning as we prepare our hearts and minds to respond to God's grace with unreserved loyalty and 
love. Brothers and sisters, it is exciting to be part of his church and to be on the move. It is exciting. And I know that the Lord has great things in store for us as a congregation. And so we need to be prepared and we need to be ready to please him and to experience his blessing. But let us not forget that in order to experience those things, pleasing him and experiencing his blessing requires us to live a certain way. And so let's not forget, as we are his people on the move, let's not forget his sovereign authority over our lives. Let's remember and obey his commands and let's be encouraged. He will provide everything that we need for the journey. May God encourage you as you go out on the move as his ambassadors. May God bless you and we look forward to seeing you back tonight as we kick off our discipling communities. Have a great day.